Well, everything seems to be happening right now in the soccer world. It's European trophy season. The World Cup is around the corner. And uh, we'll try to fit as much of that as we can into this week's edition of the Footy Talks podcast. My name is Mitchell Tierney. I'm a soccer editor here at Homestand Sports. And to help me pick at that grab bag of topics uh, on this week's show, we have Charlie O'Connor-Clark of Waking the Red. Uh, Charlie, how are you going to deal with all this soccer that's coming up over the next couple of months? Um, I don't know. I'm I'm really excited. I'm probably not going to be doing a whole lot outside of my house, to be honest, because it's just so <laughs> much to keep track of. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, and uh, let, let's start with, with Toronto FC. I know um, certainly that's not the most exciting place to start right now, considering um, there's all sorts of big things going on right now. And uh, Toronto FC haven't been all that much fun to watch lately. They've kind of uh, they've rolled back the years in a way that you don't want to see um, in the past couple. And uh, let's just look at the stats before we start. Um, after the loss against New England this past Saturday, Toronto is second last in the entire league. They've already lost six games in the league, uh, which is more than they did all of last season. They only lost five. That's a bit of a holy crap, last season was super impressive, and at the same time, uh, that's not great. And they're currently 10 points out of an MLS playoff spot and a full 18 behind the league-leading Atlanta United. Um, You know, should we sound the panic alarms yet there, Charlie? (laughs) I mean, I don't think so. Like, I still think that once players start coming back from injury and they start playing the way that they're supposed to, like, once they have their actual starting 11 on the pitch like I, I'm pretty sure they'll start making up ground but I mean we know they came into this season wanting to win the supporter shield but I'm pretty sure that's gone now just Atlanta, Atlanta's just way too far ahead of everybody at the moment I, I think TFC would probably might struggle to win that even if they hadn't started so badly but yeah I I definitely would not be in panic mode yet although we've been saying pretty much that exact same thing for like a month now <laughs> like oh no it's not time to panic yet and then they lose another game but no we're not panicking yet so at some point they really do need to start putting some wins together but it's just the the excuses are just so like understandable like you can't really wit be expected to to do all that well in this league where like all of your center backs are just gone so it's been pretty rough yeah, that that's true for sure, and uh, I liked I liked how Greg Vanny put it that there there's an urgency right now, but not necessarily a panic, um, and, and that kind of makes sense. I mean, they they are behind the eight ball a little bit, but at the same time, as you said, we've seen them play in the Champions League with their full roster or. or not even their full roster, which makes it amazing. And they've been pretty solid against some teams that um, I would say are better than almost every MLS team, maybe every MLS team. So um, in terms of getting healthy again, that, that's the main focus here, I think. And w- when I would say, I think probably you start to panic is if they do get a couple of these guys back, you know, Chris Mavinga is coming back soon. And we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on in the show. And, um, you know, once you get a bunch of these guys, especially once Josie comes back, if you're still losing and still dropping points like this, then then it's panic time because, um, like you said, the injuries are understandable in terms of why this team struggled so far. But um, once that excuse isn't there, then things aren't looking so great. Yeah, I mean, 
I've just been, I've been kind of confused when I've seen people saying like, oh, Toronto FC have been bad this year, kind of wholesale. Because I mean, no, they haven't. Like, they we saw them do pretty incredible things that no MLS team has ever done in the Champions League. So I mean, to say that they're not capable of getting back into the playoff picture pretty quickly when guys come back, like it, it'd be insane to think that this team is is done or that they're just not good. But I mean, yeah, I think over the next month and a half maybe if we don't start seeing them make make up serious ground in the table especially once players especially once defenders start to come back then it's definitely time to be a little worried i think especially given how much how much money they're giving to players and how cap strapped they are and just putting it down to injuries is simplifying it a little bit. I mean, obviously, I would say that's the biggest cause as to why they've started the season so slow uh, on top of fatigue and all of those other. Let, let's pack up those excuses for a second. There there are some things that haven't been working out well for Toronto FC, and I would point to um, the Michael Bradley to center back experiment as as one of them. Uh, how big is it? How big is it that Chris Mavinga is now back? And he really did look himself in the second half of that uh, New England game, um, stepping back into a position he hasn't played in, you know, a couple months. And, um, you know, ever since that Tigris match where he went down. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's huge. I, I, I think that as soon as they got one center back back in the lineup, they could put Bradley back in, in the transition game in midfield. And, I mean, I think that TFC were the better team for the second half of that game. Other than the the goal they gave up, I think they gave up a goal just after the halftime, did they? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right after halftime, yeah. right off the start, they gave up two, and right after halftime, yeah. they gave up one, once, which we'll talk about in a second once as well. They brought on Mavinga and Vasquez and Javinka, I think. Then things really started to to turn around. We we saw again like that, like what this team can do, especially when they've actually got somebody who can who can move the ball between the defense and and the the attack. So. <laughs> Yeah, Bradley's Bradley's role in this team is pretty unlike I think any other player's role really anywhere in the league. Like there's no there's no other player that has such a specific crucial role to their team as Michael Bradley does, and this team just kind of is pretty much nothing without his ability to play the ball out of out of the defense towards towards the midfield. He's just so important. So it's really it's huge to be able to put him back in that spot. And I teased it, so I guess we have to talk about it now. Um, they've been allowing early goals uh, at the start of the game, but also early in the second half. Um, is is this a lapse of concentration, or what's going on there? I guess they might put you on the coaching staff if you can answer this uh, correctly. <laughs> Man, I have no idea. It's it's really weird, because last year, I think all year, we were kind of praising how great this team's mindset is and how mm-hmm. focused they were all year. Like they would, they would treat every game the same, and they would come out come out with uh with everything every every kickoff but this year it's just i i really don't know what it is they've just been whether teams have like found a specific way that can catch them off guard at the start of the game or or they really just have been kind of i don't know playing playing with maybe a little bit more i don't want to say entitlement but they're just playing they maybe they've been playing a little bit more overly confident and not really expecting to be kind of caught off guard that quickly before they've really settled into the game and had their share of possession. 
Yeah, it's interesting. It's definitely something that, um, you know, Toronto is going to have to cut out very quick because um, you never want to be chasing a game, especially when teams can just sit back and uh, force Toronto to to break them down, which without all of their key players, they haven't looked especially good at doing this season. Um, let's talk about the salary cap information that came out this week. The the players' union they twice a year they put out salary cap information, which you know su- such an MLS thing, such a hilarious thing that we only get this twice a year. And um, but it's always a big day, and there's always uh, a lot of shocks and a lot of um, interesting things learned because we know so little about the MLS salary cap and how all of this works. Um, the, the salaries that stood out to me. Um, at least on Toronto FC, we're obviously Agra Keche. He's making one million a hundred and ninety thousand, and of course four cents. Don't forget the four cents; those are uh, very important. Um, <laughs> and uh, Clint Irwin, of course, he's making two hundred twenty-one thousand three hundred twelve and seventy cents. Uh, Ricketts is making in that range as well. Um, and then on the low end, there's Alex Bono, who's making just. 102,200 which is less than guys like Jay Chapman and Ashton Morgan and guaranteed compensation so um, I think certainly there's some discrepancies in terms of uh, who's been playing and and how well they've been playing compared to salary on this Toronto FC team yeah definitely I mean there were definitely a lot of surprises in there like I think a lot of a lot of fans were kind of upset when they saw how much money Agar Akeche is making and he yeah we said he was screwed the second we saw that uh, salary cap number <laughs> yeah he, yeah we saw that and then like the first game that he plays after that he gives away two terrible passes and it gets scored on twice anyway um, I I mean I think that is kind of the kind of money you need to lure away a player at his age of his pedigree from Spain I mean I I'm I'm still definitely in firmly in Agar Akeche's corner at the moment um but I, I can definitely see why why fans would be kind of upset by that or just just at least worried to see that number on the guy um but i think i think definitely what's more more of an issue to me is the the kind of money that guys like i i think toe saint ricketts is making way too much money mm. uh Iowa is making 140 and guaranteed compensation i think and he hadn't has he even been on the bench yet no but i don't know if he counts against the cap because he's homegrown mm, that's true but still still yeah. anyway but i mean yeah you see you see guys like that and guys like Ir- who erwin who i mean in fairness i don't remember when he signed that contract it might have been back when he was still the starting keeper mm-hmm. um so like it looks it it does it does look concerning when you look at it on a list of salaries, but I mean, some of them make sense. Alex Bono, I think that was just like a like a renegotiation of his like original Generation Adidas contract. Mm. So I think once that expires, he'll either well, I mean, if he's still here, which he very well may not be, but if he's still here, he'll probably demand a lot more money than that. Yeah, and these these become concerning, especially you mentioned Irwin and Ricketts. These are kind of luxury players for Toronto FC, and 
they're they're becoming very expensive luxury players for Toronto FC, um, especially when um, Oliver Platt of the TFC Report had a great article out this week that um, kind of talked about Toronto FC's salary cap situation, and you'll definitely want to go read that to find out more details but basically um you know we don't know all the information there's there's always talk that even these salary figures aren't completely accurate although a lot of them do line up um as ollie points out um in toronto fc's case but there there has to be some concern here that they're they're running out of salary cap space altogether and i don't think they have enough space to bring in anyone else this offseason at least anyone of of major impact and it, it could bleed into next year as well so um guys like this do become a concern then yeah yeah i think so i mean i think from what we've seen from tfc's front office like i would be i would struggle to think that they don't have a plan for all this or they're like i, I think they they seem like the kind of front office that's kind of on top of their salary information i mean but mm. wasn't bezbachenko part of the was it Bezbachenko or Manning that were in the front office when they were making these weird rules? Uh, I think Bez. It was Bez, yeah. Uh, so I think I, I'd have to think that they do understand their cap situation and they have a plan. Whether that's getting rid of somebody, trading trading Irwin, I mean, you'd have to think they've looked at that, especially since they since they brought in a guy like. I mean, I don't really know if Caleb Patterson Sewell can be a serviceable backup, but. He's certainly a cheaper one than than Clint mm-hmm. Irwin. I don't know. I'm I'm not particularly worried about their cap situation just from the way that the teams kind of handled their their payroll in the past maybe a couple of years. But I mean, it's definitely it's definitely interesting to think about when, especially when they've had all of these injuries and they've really been a- unable to sign anybody to to kind of fill holes other than Jason <laughs> Hernandez. It's a uh, it's it's definitely something to think about it. Yeah, it's uh, you know with Toronto FC, it seems like there's four times a year where they add a player and you're like, how how could they possibly have afforded that? And then they add another one after that. So um, who knows what the salary gap situation is fully like? But I think you're right. I think this front office uh, is on top of things. Um, Toronto FC better follow suit though. They've got a tough stretch coming up. Uh, home to Orlando City tomorrow, uh, then next Friday against FC Dallas, away to Columbus on June second. Uh, those are three tough tests against probable playoff teams. Uh, then things get a little bit easier with a pair of games away to the Philadelphia Union and then at home to DC United uh, that being the game they moved for the CCL run so um, definitely a lot to watch uh, in terms of Toronto FC over the next couple of weeks as they try and uh, get themselves at least a little closer to that red line um, ahead of the World Cup break Let's talk about one of the two European Cup finals that happened, the one that already did happen, that being the Europa League final, happened yesterday, Atletico Madrid beating Marseille 3-0. Fantastic atmosphere. I think it evidently helped that uh, it was in Lyon, so it was so close to to uh, Marseille and French fans could travel in numbers um, and they also let them bring a lot of toys in which always makes things fun there's a lot of uh, smoke a lot of uh, I think I saw a couple things thrown in the field so um, that added to the atmosphere um, Marseille they, they looked pretty good early uh, Valérie Germain he missed a chance uh, that really he should have scored and then uh, things kind of unraveled from there Dimitri Payet of course going off that's not good for France obviously wasn't great for Marseille and uh, let's be honest the second uh, Antoine Griezmann scored uh, Atletico it just played into their hands and ended up being a pretty vintage uh, Atletico Madrid win yeah I mean 
I, I don't think many people really seriously expected Marseille to win this game. I mean, I think 3 nothing Atletico is pretty par for the course in terms of what I was expecting going in, although I would have... Mm. I mean, I, I would have loved to see Marseille win, but yeah, especially once they, they went down a goal and then they lost Payet, who's probably one of their best goal-scoring threats. That was just... That was just a huge blow for them. I, I think that kind of kind of made the rest of the game a little bit a little bit tainted because they just couldn't really generate a whole lot going forward when they were trying to chase the game and then they got they just got caught up uh kind of tangled up at the back on on the second the next two goals and yeah 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 with uh with this athletic win now spanish sides have won six of the last nine europa leagues they've done the exact same thing in the champions league um and they could make it five straight with a win next saturday um what's it about spanish clubs that um you know they've been so dominant over europe in the past couple of years because it, it it is like real and barcelona who obviously have the top payroll um you know they um you know they they spend all this money and um they're big super clubs but you know, clubs like Sevilla and Atletico Madrid, they, they seem to be doing well in these competitions as well. Yeah, I don't know. I mean I mean you could you could maybe think about like their I mean La Liga has been for the for the, the Atleticos and the, the Sevillas, it's been the, the league is maybe maybe at the start of the season a little bit less competitive than say the Premier League, because they I mean mm. it's usually gonna be Barca or, or Real winning that. So you can maybe put a little bit more stock into the European competition. Um, but I don't I don't know. It's it's it is impressive to see all of these Spanish teams just kind of dominating continental soccer. I mean I wouldn't necessarily call the league better than like the Bundesliga or the Premier League. But mm. I, I there's there must be something there's something in the water in Spain that these teams just consistently manage to to pull out these knockout games and win these cups. This one might be a bit of a bookend though for Atletico Madrid because um, there's, there's a good chance or an okay chance at least Antoine Griezmann leaves in the summer. Yan Oblak could leave too. There seems to always be a bit of an exodus after Atletico win a big trophy. Um, You know, how big of a concern would that be? Because, Griezmann seems so central to their system. Obviously, they play great defensive football, but you still need that creative guy up top who can score those big goals and and be the difference maker. And that's been Griezmann. And you know, when when he wasn't so great at the start of the season, they kind of struggled a little bit, and that's a big reason, you know, almost why they they were in this Europa League final and not going deeper in Champions League has been as has been their their thing kind of of late so um you know if if Antoine Griezmann goes to Barcelona or Manchester United or one of the many teams he's been linked to um how big of a concern would that be for Atletico uh i mean i would it would definitely be concerning but i think i feel like they've known it was kind of coming for a bit like i mean i think mm-hmm. he was probably he probably would have left if they hadn't had that transfer ban over the last window True. He kind of he stayed because he knew that they couldn't really replace him. I think so. I think they've kind of had enough time to to kind of prepare for his departure. And I mean, it didn't. It definitely did feel kind of like a like a farewell when he when he was lifting that that cup on uh was it yeah yesterday. Um. Yeah, I uh, I I definitely would be concerned because he is an incredible player and he's definitely driven a lot of their success over the last few years. I mean, he's 
definitely been more important to their attack than Correa or Diego Costa, but mm. I I don't know. I just I just feel like that's not really what like I don't think that Griezmann is specifically what wins them games. Like he he scores the goals for them and and he's he's been extremely important, but I just don't think that he's like their 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 brand of football is is as you said that that kind of defensive uh really really steady reliable kind of play so i think if they can if they can get anybody if they can sign somebody that can still finish for them maybe score on a counterattack a bit for them with pace i think i think they'll still be okay in the long run let's move on to our game of the week um that being the FA Cup final that's coming up on saturday uh chelsea against manchester united yeah. Charlie, you are a Manchester United supporter. How are you feeling going into this game, and uh, how big is it that they come out with a trophy this season? Oh, I'm terrified, um, <laughs> especially because I think I think United is going to be missing like Lukaku and uh, and Fellaini and probably Martial as well, um, which is pretty brutal. But I think yeah. I think this would definitely be our best season since Ferguson left if they do manage to, to win the FA Cup and they came second in the Premier League. Um, I, I I don't know how it's going to... I'm not sure it's going to be a particularly entertaining game. It's going to be Mourinho Ball against uh, Conte's kind of similar kind of game plan. I mean, I yeah, I think these teams have been sort of similar in the way they've played over the season. They've probably not been as exciting as... Liverpool have and not as clinical as City have but mm. I mean I think it'll be a pretty evenly matched game these teams I mean they split their two league games against each other and so it'll 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 be like a good competitive game I don't I I want to say I think United have a better chance especially just given I don't think Mourinho knows how to lose a cup final <laughs> um, so I'm I'm like as as much criticism as he gets and as as much as I would be frustrated, like, I'm frustrated all the time by the way he plays. I am pretty confident in his ability to to win a big game like that against, especially against Chelsea, who he certainly would be pretty happy to beat in a cup final. Yeah, no, no kidding. Um, let, let's wrap up the Premier League in general because um, it, you know, it ended um this this past weekend and uh a lot a lot of you know a very interesting season evidently um one that was fairly dominated by Manchester City they become the first ever member of the Premier League Century Club if you want to call it that um securing an obscene 100 points I mean that's just ridiculous they only dropped 14 points all season which is really insane um you know will this be a season that's remembered, though, because obviously they don't have an Invincibles tag. Um, they, you know, they haven't picked up all that much silverware. They picked up a double, but um, you know, it's not the it's not the most prestigious double, obviously, other than winning the Premier League. And you know, nobody really remembers that Chelsea o four o five season, the ninety five point campaign. Um, it's not really remembered in the, in the same light as the 100 points or sorry as the invincibles or anything else do you think that the 100 though is is enough to have this season um live long in the memory i don't know i mean i think it'll definitely be something that we'll kind of talk about down the road is being they'll be they'll, they'll definitely be up there with some of the most impressive premier league teams but i just this i know the season's been 
incredible and they've just been so good for the just the whole year but it's just the title race was kind of boring because they had it wrapped up by like <laughs> january so i think people just kind of they'd see city win and be like oh yeah they did like that that's just what they do every week and it's just not particularly interesting i mean i think like it's obviously extremely impressive that they got that many points and they just were so dominant for so long but they there were so many there were like definitely a couple like real marks on a season like a like crashing out of the champions league and mm. losing it losing to united near the end of the season um <laughs> had to get that one in it eh? yeah but uh, i mean especially crashing out of the champions league like that was they just looked so human in that tie and you it did make you wonder like how they would do against liverpool in a, over a season if liverpool had been playing like that the whole year um yeah i mean it's it's definitely going to be hard to kind of remember the 2017-18 man city season and be like oh yeah that was that was amazing that was just a, a really great season to watch it was a lot of fun i mean obviously they've been incredible but not not particular like not a lot to talk about i think interesting so you don't want to be too dominant you want to let the other teams kind of be near you and then you'll be more memorable <laughs> um, <laughs> it'll go it'll go down really well with like the fans will obviously remember it for a really long time mm-hmm. i think in terms of the rest of the league and fans of other teams they'll probably like they'll remember that city won and they were great this year but they didn't have a lot of competition at the top i think they were the only kind of real dominant team all season rounding out that competition and uh we we mentioned obviously they they weren't all that close but united were in second uh tottenham and liverpool they also qualified for the champions league uh chelsea arsenal and burnley uh they secured the final european spots let's talk about liverpool though you mentioned it when you're talking about city if they had played this way all year um maybe it would have been a lot closer in fact it most certainly would have been a lot closer of a title race and that makes things interesting looking ahead to next year obviously before we know exactly what's going to happen in the in the uh, transfer window i mean pep has joked and i i hope he was joking about spending a billion dollars during this transfer window so um you never know what city will do united's going to spend chelsea will spend arsenal in theory will spend if they ever get a manager um yeah, and uh, but Liverpool, they do already have Naby Keita coming. They seem to have secured their back line. Um, obviously, the attack's looking great, and it, it does seem like Mohamed Salah is going to stay. You never know, but um, it does seem like a lot of their key pieces will stay. So um, looking ahead to next year, is this the biggest you know competitor that we can pick you know, to, to face up against Man City? Because I think it's fair to say City will be up there again, especially considering how big of a point gap they had. But uh, Liverpool look good to be, you know, they haven't won in a while. Yeah. They might be the Maple Leafs of the uh, of English soccer. Actually, maybe that's Leeds. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they, you know, th- this looks like it could be one of their best chances to win it in, in a while. I would think so. I mean, I I think just in general the league's going to be a lot more competitive next season. I mean, I think Chelsea will be back as well because they're they're only a year removed from winning the title. But yeah, Liverpool now that they've kind of they've kind of found a way to really unlock Salah and and give him all that all that space he needs to just absolutely rip apart defenses. So they'll definitely be. I think they'll still be an extremely entertaining team next year. Um, they, I do think they need another kind of piece to add to their defense. 
because it's still it's still kind of suspect to me. I'm mm. I'm not really convinced that they can kind of keep the keep them out of their net as much as they need to if they're trying to actually win a title. But if they if they do have have a good transfer window, I would not be. I would I wouldn't feel bad about calling like calling them my personal like favorites to win the league next year because I think I do think that on their day and I mean we saw it I think on their day they can be a better side than than City yeah for sure and let's wrap up by talking about the the not so nice news um Swansea Stoke and West Brom they've all been relegated which brings up the pressing question who inherits the title of rainy day because can't really have the rainy day can he do it in Stoke anymore because um they're a championship side now yeah it's it's always sad to see teams like that go down but i mean we've do we do have some other kind of or we might at least have some other kind of powerhouse classic premier league clubs coming up in either fulham or villa and you've got mm. uh you've got wolves coming back um Maybe, maybe, maybe Wolves. Maybe, can you can you do it on a kind of rainy day in Wolverhampton? <laughs> I <laughs> I like that actually. I actually, I actually, I am pretty excited about the teams that are coming up this season. Um, I think I think they're they're all kind of teams that that we've we've missed in the Premier League, especially. I mean, especially as somebody who was who was a Villa fan until I was ten, I <laughs> I have missed seeing them in the league. Glad um, to hear you grew up. Oh, oh! I was I was born. Okay, I was born a Villa fan, and then realized this kind of sucks. <laughs> but yeah, Villa, Wolves, Cardiff, even if Fulham wins, I actually Fulham probably will win the playoff. Um, yeah, they're all they're all kind of teams that that I think I think we've missed in the Premier League. It is sad to see like Stoke and Swansea going down, and I'm but I really I don't think Swansea will be out for long. Stoke might be, but I think Swansea will be back relatively soon as well. See, I've done some research on this. Oh, no. um, I probably did more research on this than any other part of this podcast. But <laughs> turns out Cardiff has the most rain per capita of any uh, any city in uh, the UK. Yeah. So, rainy day in Cardiff. <laughs> it is, uh, and it's in Wales. So, I mean, you yeah, don't you don't really exactly. dream about a, a away trip to Wales. So, no, nope, there you go. I think we've uh, it, <laughs> either it, Wolves or Cardiff. Cardiff. One of the two teams coming up. <laughs> Um, let's move on to the other European league that has wrapped up, or the other big one anyway, that being the Bundesliga. Uh, huge shock here. Bayern Munich have won the Bundesliga. What? Uh, I know. Um, seriously, though, I mean, other than Serie A, it's the, the biggest monopoly right now in, in European soccer. Six straight uh, for Bayern, um, and it wasn't particularly close this year. Um, Schalke... Uh, Hoffenheim, Dortmund, they all secure Champions League spots. Leverkusen and Leipzig, they picked up Europa League spots. Um, let's talk about Leipzig very quickly here. Just, um, you know, this... Obviously, they had their meteoric rise last season, finished second. They they look to be pushing um, Bayern a little bit, but, you know, they lose Naby Keita. I, I think the Bundesliga is broken if Timo Werner doesn't end up at Bayern at some point. Um, and... Uh, you know, they didn't really look like challenging this year. So do you think there's a chance they might just slip into that chase group? Or uh, do we see this club kind of refuel and, uh, you know, 
getting that Red Bull uh, terminology <laughs> in there, um, and and maybe chase again, or is this potentially another you know Leverkusen or Hoffenheim? And I mean that's fine, but obviously we'd like to see them. Uh, at least I would like to see some more intrigue in the Bundesliga, especially considering how much people don't like them. Yeah, I think it would definitely they'd be a really good a really good villain if they managed yeah. to to become more of a like a proper proper contender. I really don't think they're there yet, especially I mean they're going to be probably going to be losing Nabi Kaita and Yeah, I they're 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 a pretty entertaining team, but I still think that over over a full season it's really re- you need to be a lot better than that to actually properly challenge the just utter powerhouse that's Bayern Munich. I think they're they're still a little bit ways off. They need they need a few more players to kind of put them over the edge there. I mean, especially especially if if Verna's leaving as well. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think I think they're they're a good story. I think personally, but I think I do think that it's hard to to really put them in the conversation for for being like one of the, maybe like like if you're trying to talk about a team that's the second or third best team in Germany I still don't even think they're in that conversation just yet maybe no. maybe in another year or so and on the relegation side of things in Germany a lot of big names actually headed down Wolfsburg who won the Bundesliga not all that long ago uh, they're in a relegation playoff which kicks off today and then Hamburg and Cologne uh, they've already booked their tickets to the to Bundesliga. Hamburg did so reluctantly though. Uh, their fans they tried to burn down the stadium it seemed at the uh, at the end of that game. Uh, maybe a clever tactic here. I mean if you can't finish the end of the season then you can't go down. I'm, I'm 100% doing that pointing to the head meme right now. <laughs> um, yeah that was just terrible. Like you never want to see that. I mean I know that the Bundesliga's got this kind of they've got a a well-deserved worldwide reputation for having really passionate fans and really good stadium atmospheres but that's just over the line I mean I know it sucks and I mean you you never want to see kind of a classic club like that that's been in top flight for so long you never want to see them going down but I mean they've kind of I feel like it's been coming for a few years so I don't it's it's weird to me if people are surprised that they were going down this year. I think it was going to happen sooner or later because they weren't really making the moves they needed to to kind of get back up into the into the middle top half of the table. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, um, well, let's let's move on to the World Cup um, as as we look ahead. A number of World Cup. Um, rosters have been revealed. Obviously, not all of them are finalized yet, but a couple of them are. And um, it, it seems for for you know a side that um, haven't really competed for a World Cup final in, in uh, or in a long time, being England, they always seem to have the most interesting squad announcement. And uh, this year is that again. It's actually not that bad of a side. Obviously, the loss of the Ox looms pretty large in terms of having that. Um, creative attacking player and uh, you know of course seven caps between the goalkeepers is kind of concerning um, but obviously with Sterling Kane my boy Jamie Vardy coming off the bench uh, this could be a pretty dangerous team um, who for you were were the surprises on this English team and any omissions that kind of kind of shocked you um there were there were only a few surprises I mean 
we like before the squad came out we knew that joe hart and jack wilshire weren't going to be mm-hmm. in the team and i am not sure how i feel about that i don't i mean i obviously wouldn't have i definitely wouldn't have started joe hart but just to have him there with those with those keepers that really have no experience at this level might have helped and then yeah and then with wilshire i mean yeah as you just said like losing losing the ox you lose a lot of kind of creativity in midfield and i really don't think that the likes of like Deli Alley can really really provide that kind of creativity going forward i think i mean wilshire's been in pretty bad form for arsenal and i mean he's never really kind of turned into the player that we expected him to turn into but i still think that he would provide kind of just that 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 midfield skill that this side just doesn't really have in its current its current squad. I uh, yeah I don't know. And I mean, another thing that surprised me was the uh, the defensive choices. I mean, they're a team mm. that's probably going to be playing with three or five at the back, and they just picked almost exclusively fullbacks <laughs> to take. I mean, that's true. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Like I was a little surprised to see Chris Smalling not taken. Um. I, I mean, some of those some of those defenders are a little suspect. I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of of John Don't Stones you or chirp Gary Harry Cahill. Maguire. Hey. I'm not gonna chirp <laughs> Gary Maguire. <laughs> Gary Cahill maybe or John Stones. I don't I don't know if they're really all that, especially in a, if they're trying to to play the ball out of the back and and play with play with three defenders, three central defenders yeah it's true it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting and you, you know you wonder if maybe like a walker or something ends up being part of a back three mm-hmm. um as you said all fullbacks but that that is where they have the talent so uh, i guess they just kind of called up who is in form and they'll they'll figure out who gets in the 11 uh, you know they'll just throw everyone on the field it seems um <clears throat> now of course the most in question or most important question with the england lineup you have five players to take penalties. Who are taking them? <laughs> oh my god! Um, see, I think okay. This is hard because you can't really pick the players that aren't actually going to play. So I can't mm. say Marcus Rashford is going to take a penalty because I don't think he's. I mean, he'll probably come off the bench a few times. But anyway, all right. So Harry Kane definitely. Vardy. Um, yeah. Hmm. I want to say Jesse Lingard to take one. Probably Sterling. What's that? That's four? Yeah. Uh, not Welbeck. Not Danny Welbeck. <laughs> um, not, probably not Deli Alley. Uh, maybe Deli Alley. I'd like to see Loftus Cheek take one. I think that could work. An, uh, England, I hope you don't go to penalties because that's not the most uh, <laughs> inspiring list of penalty takers for sure. <laughs> Although it never is and it never works out anyway, so I don't know if it matters. It's a little hard to pin a nation's hopes on Ruben Loftus cheek. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that tells you everything you need to know about England's World Cup campaign. Oh, um, Brazil, they've they've also named their twenty-three man squad. Uh, the absence of Danny Alves is the big one there through injury. Um, reasonably big blow. Neymar is is called up as well, so it looks like he will be available. Um, then you have 
basically a murderer's row of attacking talent. Polinio, Coutinho, William, Douglas Costa, Firmino, uh, Gabriel Jesus as well. Um, you know, even without Neymar, that looks like a pretty dangerous group that could do some damage at this World Cup. Oh, yeah, I think I, I think they're definitely it. I mean, they're always they're always a challenger, but yeah, they're yeah, they're definitely going to be impressive. I mean, just looking at the at the squad right now, there's a lot of scary scary names on that list. I think they'll be they'll be entertaining and they'll probably score a whole lot of goals, um, especially especially with Neymar, who's just incredible. I think, um, and 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 Coutinho is going to be fantastic. I think and. Yeah, I think in general they'll they'll be definitely one of the. Uh, they'll probably be in the semifinal, I think at least. Mm. Um, who's? I'm not. A, I can't remember who's in their group. Uh, yeah, pretty easy group. I think it's Switzerland. Oh, yeah, um, Costa Rica and Serbia. Yeah, so, so that easy group yeah, to get they'll, out. They'll they'll win that group pretty pretty easily, I think. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I think uh, as long as they don't come up against Germany. Yeah, yeah, that's. The, I think that's a lot of teams in terms of how far they get um, in this competition. I, I like the structure though of this Brazil team. Like they seem to have more players that, um, you know, are, are better almost squad players if you know what I mean. Like Fernandinho yeah. and Casemiro holding. Um, that gives the the back line a little bit more of a shield. Um, you can have Firmino up top who has shown an ability to to kind of run a, run a front three, you know, as, as an attacking player. Uh, obviously, um, Salah and Mane have benefited greatly from the incredible work that he does as, yeah. you know, that as a center forward. So um, I, I like their chances. I think they're, they're a decent squad for sure. Now, yeah. the team that I think are still the favorite um, would be Germany. They've, they've named their 27-man preliminary squad, so evidently they need four players who aren't going to make it. Manuel Neuer is on that list. Um, he's one of those big injury concern players coming in. Um, you know, but if if he doesn't go, how big of a concern is that? And who would you put in net um, over him? Obviously, you've got Ter Stegen, uh, Trapp, and Leno there as well. Yeah, I, uh, I wouldn't really be too concerned if you do have to go with, with Ter Stegen. I, yeah. I actually think he's been, he's been pretty... I, I mean, if if Neuer's anywhere near not a hundred percent, I think he would definitely, at least in the group stage, go with Tristegen. Although, a lot of the, a lot of the the way Germany's kind of built their their kind of identity around the last oh, probably almost ten years has been has been through Neuer and his just crazy ability to just. <laughs> play as a midfielder sometimes when he feels mm-hmm. like it <laughs> um so i it would definitely be a, a loss in just in terms of the way they play because they'll definitely have to the 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 center back will definitely have to be a little bit more more wary about playing it out of the back if if it's Terstegen in there instead of instead of neuer but i do i do think that they could adapt to that pretty quickly, and I think that they they would be okay if it was just Dagan or even Trapper, maybe Leno, in goal there. Yeah, yeah, certainly, and um, you know this is this is an interesting Germany side. I think um, I think as you said, 
you know, Neuer has been such an important part of their squad, but um, Ter Stegen is a player who does have quality on the ball as well. So um, he can, you know, he he can help them out in that regard. Um, But I I like the fact that they they seem to have a number nine now, which is obviously their issues at the Euro. Um, It seems like the same kind of players were playing striker, obviously Mario Gomez, who kind of passed his his prime. But having Timo Werner there uh, could help out a lot. Um, and they might even have Marco Royce this time. So, uh, for you, are they are they the favorites going into this thing? Um, I think I think probably just because they've shown for a while that they're just so consistent and kind of comprehensive in their play of the team. I th- personally think France is a little bit more talented on paper, but mm-hmm. they haven't really managed to put it together yet. But I mean, if if I think if if they do manage to figure out what they're doing and actually <laughs> play like a proper team game, I I would call France my favorite. But I think at the moment you definitely you you'd have a hard time betting against Germany. Yeah, fair enough. If yeah, if I were to put money on a team, I think it would be Germany. Just looking at the the players they have on their roster right now and um, even the guys who uh, kind of what they've ha- been missing from the past as we mentioned uh, before we wrap up let's talk quickly about the Canadian Premier League we've um, you know there's been a lot of news coming out of it so we've been trying to mention it at least a little bit at the end of every one of our shows and uh, Charlie you were at the York 9 uh, club launch the yeah. first club to to launch um, what was that like just take us through um, some of the interesting stuff you learned there uh, it was fun. It was there were a lot more people there than I expected. It was, it was always really, a good sign. Really well attended. <laughs> um, and it was it was well attended both by like local like youth soccer players, but also by dudes in suits who looked like they could be like investor level kind of guys, which is also a huge positive. <laughs> dudes in suits. Dudes in suits. Um, no, it was it was fun. I mean the the branding is starting to come together. It was a pretty professionally run event uh did the powerpoint work the powerpoint worked perfectly the already music, better the than was, the nhl the baby was way too loud <laughs> but uh they had free beer um, which was always always a positive um yeah it was fun people every people there just seemed really excited and kind of properly buying into the whole idea i mean i guess york region <laughs> has probably never really had its own sports team to kind of mm. rally around. Um, I really hope they put the stadium somewhere that's more accessible than Vaughn City Hall with transit, because that took a really long time to get to. Yeah, that's one <laughs> of the things I heard from everybody going. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty brutal. It took me like two hours to get there from TFC's training ground, which I thought was mm-hmm. fairly close. But um, yeah, no, it was a really exciting event. They, uh, what did they do? I... They they had these they had the supporters group there. They were showing off some of their their tifo and their their new not super new uh, chants that they've mm-hmm. kind of adapted for for their their club. Um, yeah, we uh, we didn't. I don't think we learned a whole lot about at least at least about the Premier League in general. Um, a lot of it was kind of repeating to us what we've kind of already what we kind of already know about like how many teams we're gonna have and and how it's gonna how it's gonna work when they uh 
actually reveal all the teams once they start. Mm-hmm. They need to start getting players and coaching staffs and academies and all that set up. Oh yeah, those little details. <laughs> yeah, those those things you actually need to run a soccer team. But I mean, I still think it was it was definitely a positive start. There's a, there's mm-hmm. a lot of work to go if they're super committed to this spring 2019 launch date. But yeah. It was it was definitely exciting to see something act, like an actual concrete event with all this Canadian Premier League branding everywhere and all the logos all over the place and like probably well over 100 people there. It was it was it was positive and it was pretty exciting to see that. Let's finish up with our crazy soccer story of the week. This one coming up out of England where uh, ahead of the Champions League final, Mohamed Salah's Adidas boots, they're going to be displayed as part of the ancient Egypt section of the British Museum. Uh, It's supposed to show a kind of modern Egyptian icon that is integrated into British society, which is kind of cool, to be honest. Um, You know, if if you had to pick a football artifact, Charlie, um, that was displayed, immortalized, in fact, in an exhibit (laughs) like this, uh, what would you pick? I I hear you snickering already. I'm worried. I've got... uh, This is... Okay, it's tough. Can I I say Diego Maradona's hand? (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Or a plaster cast of it? Yeah. Um, Or uh, I was thinking of Eric Cantona's boot that he used to, like, kung fu kick a fan. Ooh. That was that was a pretty entertaining <laughs> moment. <laughs> or uh, a more or uh, the uh, the referee's notebook that Clint Dempsey ripped up in a an Open Cup game when like four Seattle players got sent off. That's a good one. <laughs> I've forgotten them all about that. Oh, that was that was one of my favorite moments in U.S. Open Cup history. Oh, that I long wonder, and I wonder prestigious. Where that notebook is. <laughs> yeah. Probably in a landfill somewhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> at, at any rate, this is uh, we'll, we'll bring that. Uh, we'll end the show there. Um, thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, if you're wondering why we didn't talk more about the Champions League, that's because the next edition of this show will be all about the Champions League. Um, we're gonna have a special edition of the show May May 26. It's going to be presented live at the Rivoli um, starting at 1 p.m. The uh, Footy Talks is hosting a Champions League final watch party. Um, I'm going to be on a panel that's going to be recorded live and uh, will be available live for you to view as well with Joshua Cloak of The Athletic, Laura Armstrong of The Toronto Star, and Armin Bedakian of The Score, uh, two of whom have been this po- on this podcast already. So definitely um, exciting times there. And of course, they'll show the game afterwards. So uh, it's a free event. You just have to RSVP. Make sure to check out the Footy Talks Facebook page uh, to find out more information for that. Really looking forward uh, to that event. And thanks everyone for listening to this edition of the podcast.